everybody welcome to the 147th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh beaverton oregon man just just like when dustin hit me up and said are you ready to record i was out there playing 2k and you know your, your voice has gotten to the next level of dribbling and it's feeling pretty good just playing with the defense making them dance trying to defend me that shit rules but basically a young anthony simons out there oh no no i'm old vet i'm an old vet man but yeah like yo 2k rules and that game last night was fucking special man yeah we have this is obviously our playoff preview but in true holy backboard fashion talk about the week that was really quick just because a lot of things happened, especially in the past 48 hours, that definitely warrant major conversation. Uh, we haven't spoke until it's been like a full the Minnesota game. Yeah. The Minnesota game was what started off the, the new week, and you know Portland handled their business 132-122, gave up a big lead, came back at the end. Uh, they just absolutely trounced the Memphis Grizzlies after falling behind by 10 points in the second quarter. They end up winning 116-89. Uh, actually played much better in Denver without Seth Curry as well. Um, had a nine-point lead early, had a chance to win that game, but it just wasn't in the cards, losing 119-110. to 110. The, the fact that the Nuggets rested Jokic, Murray, and Paul Millsap for Sunday's contest— and it's like the 10th most important thing we're going to talk about today just lets you know what all has transpired over the past, you know, beginning of the week, you know, three days and Portland, they got behind or they got behind late down seven, but Denver kept their starters on the bench. Isaiah Thomas was in there. Portland made their run. Chief Aminu had 23 and 11, his first 2010 game. They come back and win 115, 108. Portland plays a nail biter in Los Angeles against basically the G League All-Stars and wins on a Mo Harkless buzzer beater three. Who saw that coming? 101 or 104 to 101. And then we saw what might go down in Trailblazers lore as craziest, weirdest, oddest, whatever adjective you want to throw out there that is funky. That rotation is crazy, 28 bro point comeback when you play six deep deep bench players a 136 131 shootout which saw portland give up a franchise high 87 points in the first half but as we kicked off the show our guy anthony simons went off he jake layman and gary trent jr all went 48 minutes which is Pretty fucking incredible. I mean, we we literally played six guys. Zach Collins was the only regular player outside of Jake to play, and he played 13 and a half minutes. But let's start there because there was a lot to uncover and peel. Like, if this game was an onion, there are so many layers to talk about. Because Portland had the... Benefit of a 7.30 start. Mm. They knew who would be the sixth seed before that ball was even tipped in the air. San Antonio handles business against Dallas, but OKC beats a shorthanded Milwaukee team. OKC was the sixth seed. Rumors were spreading wild. Portland is doing whatever they can to avoid OKC. I don't know how true those were. My understanding is that if it were San Antonio, Portland would have probably made much more of an effort to get that win. But we also needed help from Denver. Mm. And there's something going on with the Nuggets because without Carl Anthony Towns, the Wolves had a nine-point lead. Denver had to go on a 15-0 run to win that game. Uh, So by Denver winning, uh, that meant if Portland won – they, they were good, but it looked like they were going to lose, and it wouldn't have mattered. Portland would have been locked into the four seed. So there were just so many scenarios, literally, at, at, at the final buzzer. 
And at that point, you know, I, I was rooting for the Blazers to win from the jump. My, my whole theory is that nobody is going to pick us to win in any series. The Jazz or the Thunder, equally difficult matchups. I don't think there is a, a favorable matchup out there realistically for us. So fuck it. Let's watch these young guns ball out, enjoy the win. And I mentioned this on Twitter, but I could argue that that performance by Anthony Simons it's is more important to the long-term health of the franchise than how we perform in the first exactly. round of this playoff series. If we get swept again, yes, that, that's 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 obviously the worst-case scenario, but you still have Yusuf Nurkic to fall back on. That is a big excuse you have in your bag. You don't want to play that card, but that card is definitely in your hands and on the table. Neil Olshea really swung for the fences in that draft. He got a lot of flack, some from us as well. We wanted him to go for more player-ready now guys, like guys who are ready to come up, four-year guys. Dame needs as much help as he can, but he swung for the fences. And sometimes that's the right move to do when you're picking 24th. And he just has it that aura about him. He Carefree, fearless. He's a babyface killer. I mean, he just go he shoots... Like, it, there's no pressure. I mean, he was the recipient of the the last assist for Evan Turner to get in the back-to-back triple-doubles. Uh, he comes in, and he's just – he's a gunslinger. But it wasn't like when Jared Bayless tore up the summer league when he would just get to the basket and a lot of fouls were called. He was hitting from three. He had seven threes. He was able to get to the bucket. I mean, he played – he scored 23 points in the first half against De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. I mean – that's a legit starting backcourt and the court vision. I mean, how can we not talk about this? Throwing the lob to Jake in the fourth quarter, that three-quarter court frozen rope to Myers on the run. That is elite level shit right there. No, I'm not uh, you know, crowning Simons as as next, but how can you not be excited mm. for the future of this franchise? Because we've mentioned this time and time again, we're not going to be able to keep Hood, Cantor, and Seth Curry. We may get one. We may get none. Mm. We've been saying all year long, Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons are going to get minutes next year. They are going to be in the rotation. That's just – that's fact. Portland is they, – they are their hands are tied with the salary cap for another year. And that's what's going to have to happen. And if last night was any indication, I don't think you can expect Simons to get 37 on 21 shots, hitting seven threes, nine dimes, six boards, and only two turnovers on a nightly basis. That's not going to happen. But to see what the potential is. I mean, Mm. this was Brandon Roy. This was Damian Lillard rookie year shit. So he was the 26th pick, right? 24 or 26, late 20s. Late 20s. So there's this value of a draft pick uh, that one of my favorite blog sites does. So for a pick in his range, it's a 69% chance that this dude will just straight bust. One in nine that the guy will just, yeah, exactly, that will be a (laughs) starter. So like, percentage chance that that pick was going to be someone who's ass. But Neil O'Shea found a guy that has some has an it factor about him because he could so easily have picked somebody to that would have been a four-year guy that sucks but he found a guy with potential that you know small sample size of course but i can honestly say that he has the ability to shot create for himself and generate enough space to get his shot off a lot of people in this nba do not have that ability at least he has a few NBA skills that he can work on, and we can see that he can play really well in a, one game, but at least he can play well in one game. There's a lot of guys who never put up that stat line. It was really nice to see our young guns get that minutes in 48, bro. That's fucking insane. Like, that's that's like your, your summer league team or your Y team, like, three-fourths of the team just doesn't show up and you got to run with six guys like that's what it reminded me of it wasn't an nba game this was like all right we got a game to play or we're gonna get this loss we might as well try the six of us and fucking try and try and get this win 
I know when I play on the summer league team and it's six guys, I'm not super stoked because I know I'm going to be gassed. Like literally the third time up and down that court, you know, you're calling for sub or you're, you're like, okay, we're going to zone defense. Cause I don't got the energy to, to play man to man. Yeah, so for uh, those guys to play a high-level NBA-caliber basketball game for 48 minutes and get better as the game went on, I mean, truly remarkable. Um, what do you think Simon's peaks at? Who does he remind you of? Let's go Gary Trent Jr. because that's so much easier. No, oh, no I, wanna, I, 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 I want you to go Simon's first. That's why oh, I asked you because we right. already discussed pre-show our, our Trent – yeah, no, it's easier. It, it's easier. We haven't talked, Trent. Let's okay, talk. Okay, I got. I got to. I have to explain why I think this. Anthony has shown an ability to generate space. He's tall enough to get rebounds. His playmaking vision is good. His arm length makes him feel taller. So I honestly thought he was like six five, six six when I was like doing the who's his comparison. But he's 6'3", but his arms are 6'9". So, like, he can defend bigger, stronger guys. If he puts some weight on, I know this is going to be weird. And, I like, I looked at everybody's analysis of him. They said Monte Ellis. I don't see that. I saw rookie Tyreek Evans with the way that he can produce at multiple ends. They have the tricky, creative moves. They have the same... uh hips where they can do their move generate power and shoot like rookie year tyreek evans was the guy i was thinking of so the mold of reek will and lance stevenson that type of guy i know he's smaller but that type of players who i was thinking of yeah as you were describing him i thought you were gonna go drew holiday no 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 you know my no because i i think uh they're different i think drew's more explosive with his movements. And I th- I think that when you when you talk about Anthony, it's creative, it's finesse, it's not straight up power. I think when Reek was younger and didn't have knee injuries fucking up his career, he was that type of nimble dude. What what about you? What do you think for the young god Anthony Simons? I mean, it's tough because this is really the first time we've seen him play. Yeah, like I mean, the first time we've really seen him play basketball, Mm -hmm. he was not in college. He was at Florida and IMG Academy. You can't tell anything by summer league. And really, we only saw him play sporadically, and he got up a couple threes. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is basically free-flowing off the top of my head. Like, when you were describing him, I think he'd be put on a little bit of weight. Um, He has the wingspan. He... I think he has the ability to become a better defender. Right now he's he's you know he's not there at all. But that that's okay. He's not supposed to be. That's why you work out in the summertime to add things to he's your moldable. game. He's moldable. Like he's just a he's clay, there, he's moldable. There are bits and pieces of him. Like I, I see a little bit of Penny Hardaway in him, you know, his, his namesake. He's got he's got the, the height and he's got the length. I see a little bit of Kevin Johnson from the Phoenix Suns. If you don't know, go watch the clips. He used to give the Blazers a lot of business back in the day. Uh, he had that mid-range. He was able to get to the hoop. Um, he had bounce. Simons has bounce. Um, so, I, you know, I think he's just a little bit of, bit of both. I mean, um, he could be a bad, bad boy. I mean, I think he's going to take bits and pieces of, of other player games, but – I, I really think what what separates him is he doesn't have the ability to just do one thing. Like he's athletic, but he's got a three point jump shot. He's not just a pure scorer. He's actually a point guard. I think that's what surprised me the most is the playmaking. I saw this. I saw this on sports too when I was reading. You know, through the the hoopla of last night, and people were thinking. I thought he was kind of be like Dame, where he's more just a scoring guard, maybe a two. And, you know, I kind of thought that as well, but some of the passes that he made, the like I said, the alley-oop to Lehman, the three-quarter court dart to Myers, I don't know if Dame has that three-quarter court pass in his arsenal. And that's not a knock on Dame. That's just the the type of potential this kid has. So he's going to have, have elements uh, of all of the greats, obviously. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer or an All-Star, but the, you, you see the potential. There's reason to be excited. Blazer fans always talked about the potential of Nicholas Batum. He never reached it, but he had that potential. 
So there's a lot of stuff that Anthony Simons has to do in order to reach the potential. Right now, he is full of potential. He's super young. And we're really only just talking about one full game, 48 minutes of action. There's a lot of stuff that he's pr- he probably didn't show. So in a few years when or next year, when you see him just take on more of a role, I mean, like, it's so it's such a small amount of film for us to, like, take bits and pieces of so like maybe my reek comparison is gonna look awful in a year but right now i mean he he he's special there's a lot of things he can do i mean to me it reminds me of the jermaine o'neill situation drafted him super young behind so many starting caliber players veterans but all you heard was this kid's raw. This kid's raw, but he's great. He just dominates in practice. Just wait till he gets on the court and you saw flashes. I don't think the Blazers will make that same mistake with, with, with Simons. I really do think he's going to get run next year. It's going to have to be because of the salary cap, but we discussed that. Let's talk a little bit more about the young players before we move on to the playoffs. Uh, what about Scalabissier? I mean, this was a guy who was projected to be the number two overall pick in 2016, has a disappointing season at Kentucky, slips, showed flashes even against the Blazers with the Kings, but for whatever reason, we were able to, you know, really swindle Caleb Swanigan for, for Scal. I mean, what Swanigan is is who he is. I don't think he's getting any better. Um, I'd be surprised if he's he's in the league at, at all next year but with Labissier, you see the actual talent and it's after what I saw last night you know 29 and 15 um on 12 of 17 shooting like I don't expect him to hit those step backs like like he was doing but he does have a smooth stroke he looks fluid out there he's long um he's what you want in a modern day big so uh, again he's another player with a strong summer league and Nurkic out for the majority of next season is, is going to be battling for, for rotation minutes. And to me, this feels like a Neil O'Shea special, like a Mo Harkless or a Shabazz Napier where we get them for pennies on the dollar, really no risk situation, super high reward. Um, for a guy that's been buried on the bench, I was just really impressed at how ready he came to play. And he was ready from the jump. I, those two, to me, had had the strongest performances. I, I would say who he, who uh, Labissier reminded me of was like a Rashawn Holmes. Hella athletic, could dunk, rebound, hit, hit threes, and then play help defense. If if Scott Labissier next year is 80% of Rashawn Holmes, he's a, he is a rotation big in the NBA. Yeah, I mean... I- and Rashawn Again. Holmes isn't that, like, you know, he's going to make a minimum salary next year, but he's going to be a rotation big. If Scalabissier is that, that's fantastic. I mean, like him in Kentucky, we were thinking he was going to be the unicorn type of player, and that sucks that he might be Rashawn Holmes, but he has shown NBA skills, and that's really nice. Do you think of? Can you think of any NBA players he reminds you of? I mean, you just said unicorn. I mean, he looked a lot like Porzingis out there. I mean, I'm not saying he's Porzingis, but you can take you can take what you saw from Porzingis and what you saw from Lubissier and say, yeah, that they're doing similar things. You know, one player did it at, at an elite level, and the other guy's kind of playing um, fighting against, for his career. Yeah, fighting for his career, but that doesn't mean that he can't become a rotation player, and he's going to have the summer and next year to prove that. Um, lastly, let's talk about Gary Trent Jr. Started off pretty cold, but then down the stretch, we were riding him. Mm. And it really reminded me, especially when we got him in the post and he was bullying those guards, reminded me of late 90s Isaiah Ryder, late 90s Steve Smith, just backing him down, using his body mass over smaller defenders and going to work. Um, he has a really nice mid-range step back. Um, I think he's going to become a more pure three-point shooter. He's another guy who I think he's going to be a straight scorer. I don't know if you're going to get much else out of him, but when you trade for a guy in the second round, if he can become a specialist off the bench, even a sixth man type, I mean, you take that and run. So I think he's he's going to be a, your your prototypical 
90s big guard who is just going to bully people down low. There's an archetypal type of shooting guard that he is, like, he fits all the stuff. He's a great shooter, powerful athlete, not, like, powerful, not uh, athletic. He's, his ceiling's Buddy Healed. Will he get to Buddy Healed? I don't know. But I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about the same things in Gary Trent Jr.'s game that limited Buddy Healed when he was a younger player. It's, will he get those moves, those counter moves in the paint? Because right now, it looks like he just wants to bowl over people, and that's not always going to get you the right call. He needs to work on his his uh, go-to move when he drives, and then the counter to his go-to move. And then we can see something pretty nice. But he definitely has an archetype that has success in the NBA, like the, the Buddy Heels, the Wes Matthews. Obviously, he doesn't have the defense that Wes does. Like those type of players, there is a home for them in the NBA, and it's he's filling that role. Yeah, and what I would preach is patience. You know, everyone's excited about those three and their performance last night against the, the Sacramento Kings. And if you truly want them to be a part of the future or the rotation, why they succeeded last night was they knew they were going to play. They played through their mistakes. I mean, you you watched. Simon start out super hot, then he was quiet, and then he, you know, kind of picked it back up. They were able to get into a rhythm and play through mistakes Mm -hmm. and ride hot hands. Obviously, they're not going to get starters minutes every night, but I I think if we want to see them blossom, they're going to need to get rotation minutes, and you're going to have to be able to play through some growing pains. Like, as a fan, you're going to have to be patient with these guys because – who knows what the offseason holds, but it could be a lot of holding pat until we have those contracts coming off the books in, in 2020. So, you know, these could be rotation players. So just just be patient with them. They're young, but they're they're going to get better. You know, we've said this yeah. time and time again. Not every young player is Dame or Anthony Davis who is ready to come in at an elite level and continue to improve day over day. I mean, just with, think about what Pop did with DeJounte Murray. Like he he had some growing pains that rookie year. That second year, he got all defensive NBA second team. Like he showed improved, and it was because Pop took the chance on Murray. Like and that and he produced and produced and produced that next year. We have to take those growing pains if we expect to see any reward given to when they actually are ready for that limelight. The important topic: the playoffs. Sage. They are finally here, and we get a team that beat us 4-0 in the regular season. First off, which one did you prefer? I didn't have a preference, Sage. Okay. Like, like I tweeted out, both matchups without Yusuf Nurkic. Both suck. both suck, yeah. They both suck. Yes, OKC has star power, but Utah doesn't beat themselves. Utah is also the third hottest team after the All-Star break, Utah also possesses the Defensive Player of the Year, likely, in Rudy Gobert. OKC had a prime MVP candidate in Paul George. They also have Russell Westbrook. They have a bench that gives us fits. Both arenas are going to be incredibly difficult to win in. It was a no-win situation. I think fans need to realize that, aside from the Warriors, who get the Clippers, every playoff matchup was going to be an absolute donnie brook like there are no sure things so for me if i'm when i'm watching the game i'm in the arena i want to have a good time i want to be entertained i'm going to root for my team also the fact that if we somehow make it out of this this first round guess who is not waiting on our side of the bracket the golden state warriors and the houston rockets how a fucking luyah i mean that it couldn't set up any better if you're a blazer fan yes i know People were saying, oh, you're, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. You have to get out of the first round first. But to me, there, there is just something special about a Western Conference Finals run that has not happened in this city in 19 years. I've only seen it four or five times in my 34 years of, of being on this earth. 
it doesn't happen very often. So, you know, I've seen the argument that says, what does it matter if you face the Warriors in the second round versus, you know, the round after? It, it, it just does. There, there's something magical about advancing deeper and deeper into the postseason. You get more media coverage. Free agents start to consider you. I mean, look what happened. Look what happened. Yeah, we got Ennis Cantor because he's like, oh, they have a chance to make the playoffs over over the Lakers. He made the right decision. We're likely going to need to tap into that buyout market next year. You, you, do you think a Western Conference Finals run helps that? Absolutely. Are the chances low that we make it out of the first round? It, it's it's a toss-up, in my opinion. Um, and then you're thinking about facing probably the Nuggets, who have the, the, the second best home record in the league. So, yes, the path is difficult. But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter what path you take. It, it's it's going to be a, a long road, and you, you have to be able – to just embrace that. And so thinking of the storylines, like the Dame Russ, the Dame Russ matchup, Russ talking all that shit. You've got the zombie Sonics, the team that should be in Seattle. This should be an I five rivalry. Um, you've got Portland sweeping OKC last year, OKC sweeping Portland this year. You've got Raymond Felton coming back to Portland. There is legit bad blood between these two teams and for everyone, you know, really yearning for playoff basketball, a rivalry to really be renewed, it could legitimately start Sunday afternoon. So there are so many great things that make this first round so enticing. There's a reason there's only two ABC games this weekend. Guess which team is taking one of those games? It is the Portland Trailblazers and it is because of Damon Russ, the Blazers and Thunder, it is hands down, unequivocally, the best first round matchup in the NBA playoffs. Especially for the storylines. I mean, like Enos, you know, rejecting going back to OKC. Like all of these plot lines. I agree that this is for that reason it's it's a preferred matchup. Um another reason that Call call it superstitious, but didn't everyone want the Pelicans last year? And look how that turned out. On the flip side, what is another fan base that was just dying to play the Portland Trailblazers in the first round? The Houston Rockets in 2014. They wanted the Blazers bad, and look what happened to them. There is something to be said about a team coming in overconfident. The Thunder are going to be, even if it's just one game, they, they're going to come in overconfident. They're going to see Portland... The team they beat four times in the regular season, a team that's without their starting center. So they're, they're they're going to come in, and they're going to think it's going to be slightly easier than if they were to play someone else. And Portland needs to be ready to pounce on that. Another factor in this is that you can't really take regular season results and, and make that word as bond. And, and what I what I mean by that is, if you look back throughout history. Some matchups are just close, and, and they go down to the wire. I remember the Blazers beat the Sonics five five times in 1991. That was the, the franchise-leading 63-win team. Yet that series went the full five games in the first round because all of those matchups, especially the ones in Seattle, were extremely close. The games that Portland has played OKC, I believe the combined score was a 30-point difference. So each game was down to two or three possessions, about seven-point swing. And one of those games went into overtime. And then you also have to factor in when those games were played. Portland played OKC on the second night of a back-to-back on the road. They played OKC as the first home game back after that seven-game road trip. That that type of atmosphere and scenario is not going to take place in the in the playoffs. You get a day off in between. Like you you get rest. It's not there's going to be no schedule wins or schedule losses. And I'm not trying to make excuses saying that's why Portland lost. But you would be kidding yourself if you said that that did not play a factor or play a role in the outcome of the game. And so you look at that series with every game going down to the wire. Conversely, when you look at the Utah Jazz. Yes, we split 2-2, but. Damn near every single game was a blowout by by twenty by twenty points. Sometimes more. The Jazz beat us by thirty on December twenty one. 
Then they came back and beat us on Christmas by 21 points. The only close game was on January 22nd when we won in Salt Lake City by five and followed that up with a 27-point victory. Yes, it was without use of Nurkic on, on January 30th, but that is a lot of high-variance results, and I just don't think the Utah Jazz were as much of a matchup advantage as the experts and fans would like to think. So that's why I think OKC is just as tough of a matchup as the Utah Jazz. A lot of people have been asking, what is the X factor to this game or to this series? And I think there's a lot of them, like how Enos handled the pick and roll. Well, let's give credit for the fan question. It was given by at brutal telling. So he wants to know, like you said, outside of Dame, CJ and Ennis, who is the X factor for a series win for for the Blazers. I, I have my guy, but I, I want to hear from you I, first. I think it's Seth Curry and how he will produce with CJ McCollum on the court. Um, it seems, it, looking at the stats, Seth is a different person with CJ on the court, and we can't have the passive Seth Curry. So, I, I, I want to see what that will do. I think Seth, Rodney Hood, those two have to produce in the minutes that they're given. So I would say our, 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 our newer guards. What about you? This series, as long as Alfred Camino is our starting power forward, it, it's going to be chief. He has to hit the three at, at a, at a high clip because although, although OKC traditionally didn't trap us in, in the regular season, they, they still could. Teams are going to leave Aminu open, and conversely, on the flip side, Portland needs to win that matchup with Jeremy Grant. I mean, the reason Portland was able to do so well against the Thunder last year was Carmelo Anthony was the starting four, Mm -hmm. and we obliterated that matchup. They always played well when Grant came in. Well, he's their starting four, and in three games this year against Portland, he's shooting 50% from three. He's giving them 11.6 boards, and I know that doesn't jump out on the page, but you know, if you were going to say Chief's going to shoot 50% from three and get you probably, you know, 12, 13 points and seven, seven eight boards, you, you take that in an instant minute. So he is going to have to outperform Jeremy Grant. Um, I also really believe who, whichever bench shows up, Dennis Schroeder has been a nail, mm-hmm. a thorn in our side this year. Nerlens Noel has had big games. Um, they had a guy, I think his last name was Burton, who, yeah. who just – hit a few threes against us. My God. And I, I swear I haven't heard from him since, but they're bent. Raymond Felton. If you're at the game, do not fucking boo him. He thrives on that shit. He has had big games against Portland. So to me, like you said, Seth Curry, are we going to get good Evan Turner? Um, what are we going to get from Jake Lehman? Zach Collins? We have a lot of variables. Um, ultimately it's going to fall on Dame's shoulders, but he is going to need significant help. Uh, so the bench needs we need to win the battle of the benches, especially at home. I mean, if we if we do not win the bench battle at home, we're not winning that that contest. And yes, I know we said one X factor, but obviously in a playoff series, there are so many. Um, I, I have two more. The other is is Paul George. He has not been the same since he had that shoulder tightness and he's not going to be 100 percent for a minute there. He was playing at an MVP caliber level. He was Kevin Durant. Now he's back down to Paul George, which is still an all-star player. Yeah, it's, it, it, people are saying that it's like his ultimate demise. I looked at it. He's averaging 26 points, 8 rebounds, 2 steals, and a block a game in the since we played him the last time we played him. He's still very, very good. And one stat I just want to bring up. Without Caleb, Joseph, Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin, Seth Curry... With Damon CJ on the court, Seth Curry has played awful. Like, his usage rate's down, his points per possession's down. Like, he's legitimately the worst player on the team when CJ McCollum's on the floor. We need him to play at a much better level. And with CJ on the floor, Rodney Hood's the second best, the second worst player on the floor. So, these guys need to produce while CJ's on the court. I know that CJ hampers them. But in the minutes that they play, they need to produce. Like, their next contract is really 
dependent on how well they play. So these two dudes need to, instead of being the worst two players on the team in terms of points, usage, defense, they need to be at a level where we saw them without CJ. Yeah, I mean, that's my that's my last X factor is CJ McCollum because he he has not looked good. Yes, I know he had had the knee injury and he's only played two games, but his shot is not back. Yeah, he's moving pretty well. But honestly, if this is the CJ we're going to get, I'd rather he not play because as you mentioned, Rodney and Seth played much better in his absence because they were getting minutes, they were getting more shots. Uh, you looked at the Laker game. Seth had it going, but he wasn't inserted back into the finishing five until the last few minutes uh, because, you know, it's it's tough to play Dame, CJ, and and Seth, and you're damn near not going to get away with it against the Oklahoma City Thunder with all of the length and, and size that they have. So, yes, a lot of it is going to be on Seth and Rodney to perform when they are called upon, but, you know, I'm going to put equally amounts of pressure on CJ McCollum mm, to – to earn your your 20 plus million like you're a borderline all-star i know it's a lot to ask coming off of that injury but you know this is what this is what you live for this is what you play for and i really want to see terry stotts if cj's not playing well go to the guys that have played well like Mm -hmm. don't just say i'm playing you because you've you know you've been my guy throughout my tenure tenure here there needs to be a lot of in-game adjustments like well that's one of his worst that's what scares me to death. Yeah. Doggy, this is how bad Seth Curry is with CJ on the court. He's shooting 20% from the field. Like, that is fucking horrendous. He's a, he's a sharpshooter that's shooting 20% from the field. With Damon CJ on, Caleb Swanigan, Yusuf Nurkic, Wade Baldwin, and Nick Scousis off. That's fucking awful. So those are the two X factors for me. Like, if we're not talking about our big three... Those are the two. With our starting five, how are we going to defend uh, the the starting five for the Thunder? Are we going to put Al Farouk on Paul George, um, Harkless on Russ, and put you know CJ on Jeremy Grant and have him try and kill us? Or are we going to try and play it straight up? Because I would much rather have Jeremy Grant try- take 20 shots than Paul George. Oh, absolutely. You know, I the beauty of, of a seven-game playoff series is the exp- you know the, the ability to experiment and, and see what works. Um, Paul but George, that, that's the thing, though. We don't adjust well in-game. So it's well, going to take the next saying, game. We have to. There's no magic formula right off the bat that's just going to work. You're going to have to try out a few things to see what is going to to succeed because the Thunder know Ennis Cantor inside and out. Mm. They're gonna make they're gonna pick and roll him to death. I I think it thankfully Steven Adams is not the lob threat that Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella is, but he's gonna have to keep Steven Adams off the glass. Um in terms of Russ, there's gonna be a game where he may drop 50. There's also going to be a game where he may shoot four for 27 and shoot them out of a game. Mm, Probably game one against Portland. To me, the only player you don't let loose is Paul George. Yeah. You stay on Terrence Ferguson because he is a bonafide shooter, but the only player I don't leave is Paul George. And I try to deny him the ball, maybe double. Um, If you're able to keep Russell Westbrook at the three point line, do it. Mm. You don't want him getting to the foul line. You don't want him getting into the paint. Without Nurk, we've lost our best rim protector. You know, I think you dare. What What is the Oklahoma City weakness? It's shooting the three point shot. You dare them to beat you from behind the arc. Yeah, incentivize Russ to take 10 threes in a game. He probably yeah. will. I mean, this year was a weird year for him statistically where he really didn't attack the basket at the rate he used to make him shoot more like that. That is a humongous key for us. You know, I think if you're, you're Portland as well, no ISO ball, no, no Dame CJ dribbling the ball for 10 plus seconds. This is a thunder defense that outside of Paul George, I would say is subpar. Actually I mean, Mar- as a team, they're top three, 
But indiv- if you break down individual defenders, I totally agree with you. They just play good team ball because of Steven Adams and Paul George. I mean, I, I saw who were they, they were playing the Timberwolves, and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. Markeith Morris didn't know what to do. I mean, they they had no interest in, in playing defense. I yes, early in the season when they were on their roll, that they were in a, a lockdown, lights out defense. But I have not seen that Thunder team since the All Star break. So I, I want to see Portland move the ball around and, and really play good good offensive basketball. No quick shots early in the shot clock. They need to treat every possession like it's their last. Who wins the coaching battle? Because there's a lot. Coaching and scheme was the reason the Blazers lost last year. Agreed? Absolutely. So who's going to come up with the best strategies in the game? Is it Billy Donovan or is it Terry Stotts? Who's going to win the coaching battle? Because I think that is a lot of Blazer fans are assuming that our guy is going to win outright. Well, that's what we thought last year, too, and we were completely wrong. I'm not as worried at the, the Thunder coaching staff as I was about the New Orleans. I just want Terry Stotts to show growth and adjust in-game. Well, the the blueprint is out on how you beat the Portland Trailblazers in the postseason. I mean, Billy Donovan doesn't need to look very far, so that's what worries me. We have not addressed how to attack when a team doubles Dame or takes the ball out of his hands. We kind of panic and just toss it to Chief, and he shoots 13 threes a night. I mean, that has been the blueprint to... Give the Blazers hell. We're not a team that's going to push the tempo, try to get out on the break and score. We like to score in the half court, and we like to run a lot of pick and roll. I think the Blazers are going to have to get creative in getting Dame the ball because X factors aside, you know, Jeremy Grant, Alfred Camino, Seth Curry, CJ McCollum, coaching, it really gets thrown all out the window if Damian Lillard doesn't come correct. Mm. And I know he is extremely anxious. He said as much during an ESPN interview with Stephen A. Smith. He's anxious. He wants to get that taste out of his mouth from from last season when we were swept. And there is a lot of pressure on him, not only to, to win, but as a player for his reputation. I mean, if you truly want to be first-team All-NBA and an MVP candidate, you have to put the team on your back and carry them, regardless of what the defense is throwing at you. So I guess it all comes down to how can we get Damian Lillard off? I mean, he yeah. put 51 on this team. It wasn't enough, but he did put 51 on them the last time they played in Portland. Um, he traditionally has big games against Russell Westbrook, but the playoffs are a different animal, and we are really going to need – our role players to step up. Dame's going to have to trust them. Uh, CJ and Dame both did with Mo Harkless down the stretch. Um, obviously, it takes two to tango. Dame's Dame's role players have to hit shots. Otherwise, I mean, it doesn't. It's do going to be good. a boring series if our role players don't step up. But we need Dame to figure out. You know how 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 are he and Terry going to come up and scheme? Okay, if they trap me, here's what we're going to do. Mm. Maybe I'll play off the ball. Maybe you know we'll we'll, we'll do this or or that, but. Bottom line, Dame has to play like an MVP for us to be competitive. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, 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 very quick series. All right, let forget Dame. Everybody else on the roster, who are you most confident in, and rank them like top three, top five on who will produce? Who is going to be a consistent player in this series? We took the most consistent out. Who is going to be the second most consistent player in the series? So you asked me to rank from one to three. First is easily Ennis Cantor. I think he's been the most consistent blazer um, over the past three weeks or so. You know, as a starter, and I know this does carry some New York time, but 16 points, 11 boards, um, two, two dimes on nearly 60% shooting from the field. Uh, if you look at what he's done in, in April, when he has got the 31 minutes, it's been five games, shooting an incredible 62%, 20 points, 12 and a half boards, uh, two assists, and nearly a block per game. 
he needs to do what he did against Nikola Jokic. He's going to need to do what he's done against um, the Los Angeles Lakers. What we have that we didn't have last year. Remember, Nurk played skinny last year. He was not a, a, a impactful player, a threat to score down low. We're going to need to rely on Ennis, I think, early and often. Not only one to get Steven Adams in foul trouble, but to get Portland some easy buckets that doesn't exhaust all of Damian Lillard's energy. Yeah, those easy buckets. Yeah. Get them in foul trouble as a team. Get those points in the paint. Slow the game down a bit. To me, I'm counting on Cantor. I mean, number one, first and foremost. Number two, Seth Curry. Uh, I think over the past, what, three weeks since C.J. McCollum has been out, he has been the player that I envisioned when Mm -hmm. we signed him. Just a lights-out shooter. We need someone on this team just to catch fire from three. Dame's been pretty inconsistent from three lately. I think as a team, we are going to really have to start clicking, and it kind of concerns me that we haven't done it, but Seth has been the best of the bunch. Um, third, I mean, this, this is really difficult. We have a lot of inconsistent players. Um, Dame is shooting 32% from the three, uh, since Nurk has been out. Oh my God. I mean, this is, this is how difficult it is. I really, I'm shocked you haven't said the obvious guy. There is no obvious guy. I left him off for a reason. I don't know who you're talking about. CJ. No, I am not confident in CJ McCollum right now. Okay. I mean that that's that's absolutely number one. Like I think it's a little unrealistic to expect him to be CJ McCollum. Like he mm. was out for ten games. Um he's only played in two games since. He's probably still on a minutes restriction. Um maybe by game three or game four he starts clicking, but you know, I, I think fans, you need to temper your expectations with, with CJ. Like, it's going to take a while for him to get back into the groove, find his find his rhythm. Um, I just have a – the way I feel about this is that CJ kind of has this respect and gravitas from the players that were hoping played really well, and they force-feed him the ball a little too much. Like, obviously, if you're looking at the stats, that's why. Like, they're force-feeding him. I have a feeling that just based on, like, pure usage alone, he's going to have, like, Rudy Gay numbers. Back when Rudy Gay was annoying. I'll say Mo Harkless as my three. He's been really active. Um especially in that Laker game. He was making the right cuts. We're going to need ball movement. We're going to need player movement. I think if he can make Paul George work on defense, that that's going to be key, especially if Paul George is coming up to, to trap us. I, I think Mo, Mo would be my pick. I mean, it was between him or Aminu, but Aminu is the most high variance player probably in the league. He'll get mm-hmm. you 2010 one night and then he won't score the next. So, I mean, that, that was kind of off the table for me. CJ's been injured. Jake hasn't been the same player since his outburst against the Pelicans. Um, Evan Turner is, is Evan Turner. You, he's like a box of chocolates. You really never know what you're going to get. You know what's crazy, bro? Like, I remember... I, I texted you, actually. Since his injury, even with the triple-double games, he's still averaging, like, four points, three rebounds, two assists. Like, even having those ceiling... Alfred Payton type of triple doubles, you're still shooting that poorly. It's pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, shout out to him for having ceiling games, but it just shows how bad he was since, you know, this has been a bad year for him. Like, it's good that he got those two games in a row, got the triple doubles, got a little hype. That's fantastic. But it just shows how bad he was playing for the rest of the year. Like, I'm looking to see how his stats are looking. No, actually, they would be very similar because they only play so one how, game. Who are your top three? I think on pure just usage, CJ has to be in there. Just no, because. No, who do you think will be the, the top three consistent Blazers not named Damian Lillard in this playoff series? CJ one, Enos two, Zach Collins three. 
Okay. Because I think we need his defense re- a lot. Like, oh, absolutely. Absolute. Enos I mean, can't play big minutes. I mean, he's gonna have to. Well, he's gonna have to, but I think we need a consistent Zach Collins to spell him. So I could honestly see him and Enos like being very close together with minutes played. So we need a consistent Zach. And like you, you see the the you see the IQ defensively. He is there on help defense. He knows how to play post up defense, help defense. He plays pick and roll. He has potential defensively to be special. So we need him to ha- be big, so Enos can actually be usable on the court. I would say Seth Curry, but he hasn't proved that he can play well with CJ on the court. So We left him off the list for a reason, because he is our MVP candidate. But as we mentioned, I, I really think this series rides on, on Damian Lillard. And if you look at his 2018-2019 splits against opponents, there are only two teams that he does not put up more points against. That is the Orlando Magic and the Atlanta Hawks, who he has played a combined three times. It's a smaller sample size. He has played the Thunder four times, has put up nearly 35 points, eight assists, and, and four and a half boards. Um, you are concerned that he's only shooting 25% from three, nine of 36, but he is shooting 92% from the free throw line. He's going to have to make a living at the line. There are going to be nights where the shot's not dropping, but... Do you think the playoffs hurt or help the Blazers? Because Paul George lives at the line, same with Russell Westbrook to an extent. I think it helps Portland because... They're not calling the ticky-tacks. They don't call the ticky-tacks. James Harden is is, is exhibit A. I mean, he does not get away with his bullshit as much in the postseason as he does in the regular season. The officials tend to let them play. That's why it's called playoff basketball or a playoff foul. Portland scores the most half-court points of any team in the entire NBA. The playoffs are a grinded-out half-court style. Yes, we talk about how important fast-break points are, and they will, and they may determine a game. But traditionally, you don't get those in in the postseason. It it is a a possession-by-possession battle, and no team really does it better than the Trailblazers. Obviously, we haven't had Yusuf Nurkic, and we will not have him. And it's going to be an uphill battle, but if Portland's going to win, you know, this, this is why I wasn't as concerned is because Dame plays so well against the, the Thunder. I mean, conversely, he only puts up 25 points against the, the Utah Jazz. So he's almost scoring 10 more points per game uh, against OKC. And there is no Rudy Gobert there to just shut down the paint. The Blazers, they're going to have to get hot from three. They're going to have to get MVP performances from Dame. It's going to take take a lot to mm-hmm. win this. Quick question from the Trailcasters. They wanted to know, do the Blazers avoid getting swept? I mean, let's kind of throw that out there. Like, let's just look at the narrative. Like, I think this series is a success if the Blazers at least push it to six. W- would I be right when saying that? Honestly, I think it would be a success if they get it to five. But no, five five's not cutting. You, I think you have to get like if you go five and it's a gentleman's type of sweep where you get down three zero and then you win. No, that. But the nar- you know that there's that excuse that's driven in. I that, say that, that to me that is a fine excuse if you push it to six. This team, I don't think they're going to get swept. I will say that. I and think I, they're I winning think- game one. Okay, so you're laying your prediction out for game one. I think they win game one. I think that. OKC comes out pretty damn confident, overconfident. The the raucous crowd. I think that this is their game to win, Portland. I say the Blazers, if if they split the first two, they're losing the series. To win the series, they have to go to Oklahoma City up 2-0. Yeah. You do not want to come down 3-1, 4-0. You know, obviously, four zero seasons over. Um, we saw this type of scenario in two thousand nine against the Rockets. Got blown out in game one. Won a hard fought battle in game two. Game three and game four go to Houston. Portland grinds out game five, and you just get blown out in game six. Like, you don't want that to happen with with the home court advantage. You have to win every single game at home, and it's crazy to think the Blazers went thirty two and nine. At home, third best in the entire NBA, which is just incredible. And 
as it should be. We have a great fan base and a great home court advantage. But since 2000, this is only the third time the Blazers have had home court advantage in a series. They are 0 for 2 leading up to this. Obviously, last year getting swept against the Pelicans and in that 0-9 series where we lost in six games to the Rockets. So it has been 19 years, go back to the conference semifinals against the Utah Jazz, that the Blazers have won a first-round uh, series with home court advantage. There's a lot of pressure riding on them. I, that's why I think they they must win the, the first, first two games. Um, my head is saying the Thunder win in six. My heart says the, the Blazers win in, in seven. I had my heart crushed last year. I think OKC um, gets it done in, in a hard-fought game. We really haven't seen this Blazer team play um, play anyone outside of the Denver game in Mile High City, which which they performed well, but it, it just wasn't enough. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic is such a yeah. I, I think it just shows how important Yusuf Nurkic is. And we've talked about this. Yeah. We said that he is arguably the most valuable Blazer. I think, like, just defensively, the drop off between Nurk, who arguably is a top three center defensively to Cantor who there's the narrative about him not being able to play pick and roll defense and that's like legitimately true he, he's too slow laterally to do so so every every play I think has to be for Nurk because he without Nurk we wouldn't be in this position I, I think for this game one they win this one for the big man yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're the Blazers, you you fought all season long for home court advantage. It meant so much to you. Go out there and give those fans a reason to cheer. I mean, we're going to be there. We're going to be, you know, amped up to a whole other level. But there still comes a point in time where we need that spark to just raise the roof off of the arena and really get the momentum going. So, you know, when it comes down to it, who's going to make that highlight play? Who's going to make the big block? I mean, we saw Zach Collins change two games, the Warriors and Pacers, with incredible chase-down blocks. Jake Lehman just destroyed Julius Randle in the 20-point quarter, which won the game. What Blazer is going to make that play that is just going to get us to a, a, a record, a record decibel inside that arena? Like that That's really what I think pushes Portland over the top. Um I'm going to be a little bit guarded in my prediction and say, oh, like I said, OKC wins wins game one. But again, I think it's going to be a, be a close game. Um, I, I certainly hope I am wrong. But Can again, I make my prediction? I think that it's going to be a tough series, but at the end of the day, we just don't have the horses that a healthy Thunder team has. I mean, like, Yusuf Nurkic is that important where he sways a entire series. I think I we play extremely hard, and he we lose in. I say we lose in OKC in Game Six. I will say this: if we win Game One, we will win Game Two. So that Game One to me is by far and away the most important game uh, of this series. If you win this, you you end the ten game playoff losing streak. You end any doubts of getting swept. You, it takes a lot of pressure off, too. takes a lot of pressure off you and, more importantly, puts more on the Thunder, mm. who probably feel like they won the playoff lottery drawing a team they've swept this year without Yusuf Nurkic. So then it kind of puts a little bit more doubt on, on their shoulders, a little more pressure. See how they react to that. Game one, the most important. Hope I'm wrong. You got anything else you want to say about this pr- playoff preview? No, man. We'll be back after every game, breaking down each game as it comes. Um, This is grind time. Like, for real, for real, for real. We put in the work statistically. Like, yo, let's be real. Not many other people are giving you the on-off splits for Seth Curry at a moment's notice. This is where real big boy broadcasters step the fuck up, and that's what we're doing. Tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the Holy Backboard if you want the realness. Like, yo, 
Dustin has been a fan of this team his entire life. Like, he has been through it all. Hit us up. Like, talk to us on Twitter. We're nice guys. We, yo, fuck with us. This is, this is where we step up and show, show proof. Like, this is, this is our time, man. We're here every game. We're covering it. We'll tell you all the stats. We'll tell you all the, what we see, because we've seen this game, we've seen this team play 82 times this year. We're going to tell you what's happening with the team. Honestly, I think we win game one. Fuck with us. This is the holy backboard. We'll be back after game one. Game one, April 14th, 1230. Get that pregame mimosas popping. It's Blazers and brunch. We do awesome when it's early tip-off. Let's fucking go. Where you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go!